Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chipper G, joined here as always by my co-host Azul GG. What's good, Azul? How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, had a little bit of a rest week overall. Just kind of streaming throughout the weekend. Tuned into quite a few of the streams that there was to tune into. There was the uh, European regionals. They were streaming. There's Vancouver, the stream. There was the full grip tournaments going on. So a lot of streams to tune into throughout the week. Didn't do as much streaming myself as I would have liked, but um, got to tune into a lot of Pokemon action. There's a lot of Pokemon action going on. So it was very cool to see all that. And you were at full grip commentating over there. Um, so how did your how did your weekend go again? Another week of travel for you. Yeah, yeah, it's getting kind of crazy how much I've been traveling this year. I did the math recently. I don't remember if I talked about this on a previous episode, but I think at this point I've flown like 25 or 26 segments this year. So like, uh, you know, sometimes when you fly a round trip, you're on four different planes. So that's four different segments, right? Because yeah. there's a connection or whatever. I've been on like 25 different airplanes this year or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> So it's been a very busy year of travel for me. As you guys can see, I am still, and maybe as you can hear, I'm still uh, away from home. I'm traveling. I'm actually at Andrew Mahone and uh, Natalie's house. So shout out to Andrew and Natalie for hosting me, bringing me out here to the Full Grip Games tournament and letting me uh, record in their room. It is Memorial Day. Got friends and stuff over. We're going to be grilling out and stuff later. Looking forward to hanging and stuff. But yeah, I love doing these tournaments. Um, for anyone who's not aware, Full Grip Games, a store in Ohio where Andrew Mahone, a.k.a. Tricky Jim, kind of operates out of. He's got a partnership with them, and they host a release weekend tournament for the new set every single time a new set releases. Actually, Azul and I played in the finals of the very first one they did yeah. uh, for the rotation uh, of the standard format whenever Evolving Skies was first legal. Azul was able to beat me with a Rapid Strike Urshifu while I was <laughs> playing a Psychic deck. He sacked me, but that's okay. Uh, we don't have to get into that one. <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, so this one was for Astral Radiance. So this tournament actually had Astral Radiance legal. So it was a release weekend tournament. It was a ton of fun. But there was also a bunch of other tournaments that we are going to be talking about on the cast today. Of course, Vancouver and Bremen regionals did happen this past weekend. We've got two regional champions to talk about, two different decks to talk about. So we'll be breaking those down. And we're going to put kind of a little bit of a bow on the Brilliant Star standard format. Talk about looking back, what some of the most successful decks were, what we feel like the, the best decks from the format are, just our opinions on the past three months of play overall. And there is one more tournament remaining in this format. There is a regionals in Chile this weekend. Though, um, so you, you can listen to, if you're going to that tournament and you want to kind of hear our thoughts on it, we'll, we'll break kind of our thoughts on the format down just in general as, you know, we're moving towards the end of it and looking ahead to Astral Radiance. But before we do that, we, of course, will have Guess That Flavor Text. It is Azul's turn to pick a card and my turn to and hopefully I can uh, make something happen, maybe get ahead on the leaderboard. And then we will take an early look at Astral Radiance. We'll look at the results from the Full Grip Games Astral Radiance tournament, the decks that won, the new decks that did well. Spoiler alert, turns out Palkia is pretty good. We'll <laughs> talk about those things a little bit and maybe some of Azul's thoughts because I know he has been playing a bunch of the new format. So yeah, sound good, Azul? You ready to get into it? I'm ready to get into it. And let's start off with talking about, you know, those the two regionals that happened over the weekend. We have Vancouver regionals and Bremen regionals. Um, Vancouver won by Parker Lish with the Arcus Hammers, and Bremen was won by uh, Philip Schultz, which I think maybe 
the most interesting deck in top eight between the two. So we could maybe start there with Philip Schultz playing the Arceus Cincino Baby Jolteon. Um, so really trying That's to right, take yeah. uh, really trying to take advantage of, and we saw that actually a lot. We saw a lot of Baby Jolteon in general. I feel like, um, and it was actually funny. This deck, Nico tweeted out maybe the worst deck that Nico also played the same list, maybe the worst deck that he's ever played in a tournament, and then Philip goes on to win the tournament with it. I think maybe Robin was playing it as well, and I don't think Robin made day two either. So at least three, I think, I think so. three of them were playing the deck. Philip ends up winning the tournament in a pretty dominant fashion, eight and one into day two, I think pretty cleanly into top eight. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was just like such a, the deck immediately reminded me of uh, Zoro Garb with the way it looks. Like, you got the Cincino in mm -hmm. there with the Make-Do, Arceus in there. You got Charon's Care, which is Ace of Rolla. You got Boss's Orders, which is like Guzma or whatever. And then you have Jolteon in there, which is basically almost as effective as Garb was in its format because all the abilities right now are just on the Shady Dealings and Teleon, right? So Jolteon basically shuts down any deck that has a ton of abilities. Jolteon basically pretty much fully shuts down for the most part. Of course, the only other thing that... Um, those decks we have in there is the Arceus with the Starbirth, but there's four Pats of the Peak in this build as well, and that's basically this deck's whole Mew matchup was four Pats of the Peak. So, I mean, just really cool deck from from Robin. And Baby Jolteon, I mean, didn't just do well here. It did well in, in Vancouver as well. That's like a... seems to be a pretty good card. Uh, I mean, at the end of this format, and moving into the next format, I don't think it's going to change too much. I think it'll still be pretty solid. It should definitely be solid still looking ahead. I always think stories like that are really funny whenever a player says something like, oh, this is like the worst deck I ever play, and then someone else in their group goes and wins the event. I remember that <laughs> happened a few years ago at a Roanoke Regional Championships where your group played that Solgaleo Gardevoir deck, right, with the Swampert. Yeah. And I remember uh, standing around you guys, I was casting that tournament, and Danny was saying, like, yeah, like, this deck is fine, but, like, it's just not a deck that's going to win the event. And then Jimmy goes and wins the event with the deck. <laughs> <laughs> like, those things are always really funny. And it just shows, like, there's so many different things that can happen in any given game of Pokemon. And when it comes to these regional championships in general great players do poorly at them all the time because there is variance in the game sometimes you hit bad matchups sometimes your opponent like even if you don't uh set up poorly by any means maybe your opponent just is running hot right uh and then they're just able to run over you some of the matchups just run so closely that even if you're the better player if someone just draws a little bit better they'll they'll beat you out sometimes it just shows there's a lot of variance in the game but skill does still prevail obviously philip is one of the best players in europe so no surprise uh to see that he won the regionals this weekend with a uh the arceus chinchino jolteen deck yeah yeah and to kind of speak towards consistency and looking at the rest of the top eight from from bremen stefan back in another top eight this time with a completely different deck arceus and Teleon, uh took uh took the maddie b henry brand list uh did a did a couple changes, no Echoing Horn, played the Tool Scrapper. The the biggest card, I think, in the deck is the Cross Switchers, and they still played the Cross Switchers, so the, the only real change was the Tool Scrapper was added in there, and I feel like that's uh, basically just for the Jolteons that were popping up. It also kind of does something similar to what the Echoing Horn does in the Mirror Match, where it's like, if you can Echoing Horn and Arceus V onto the bench to KO it, that's great, but if you just Tool Scrapper the big charm on their bench to Arceus V, you can also KO that. So the, the Echoing Horn and the Tool Scrapper little bit interchangeable depending on what you expect more of um one thing i was surprised is there was no punkaboo and they still stuck with the collapse stadium because if you play the punkaboo up against those baby jolteon decks because they're trying to put they're not just trying to put jolteon in play they're also trying to put path in play so you can't starburst to find dte plus boss and ko the jolteon 
Um, so with Punkaboo, you can bump the path, use your Starburst, get the boss, get the DT, or get the Scrapper in this case, actually, with Stefan's build. Um, and then throughout the rest of the top eight, four Mews. I don't think anything too special on those. And then a couple other Arceus and Arceus Urshifu um, with Jolteon as well. Actually, I didn't notice this one played Jolteon. So Arceus, Urshifu, Crobat, VMAX, and Jolteon. So more baby Jolteon in top eight here in Bremen. And then a uh, Arceus, Bees. And that one was pretty similar to most of the Arceus and Teleon Bees we had been seeing. So uh, a couple, yeah, a couple Jolteons. And then the rest, yeah, four, four Mew. So Mew was pretty dominant in this top eight, which we haven't seen for a little while, like a, the Mew takeover. Well, I mean, actually, there's usually Mews in top eight at, these days, but no wins from you still over the weekend. A lot of Mews, in, there's half of the top eight was Mew. Still no wins from you over the weekend, though. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny looking back. Uh, Mike Fouché, who's a longtime player in the game, pretty active on Twitter, and he also is a regular host on a different podcast, the Trash Lanch podcast. He tweets out, at the beginning of every single format his like little hot takes for the yeah. format you know and one of the things he tweeted was that mew would top eight the most regionals but it wouldn't win any regionals which wasn't exactly true because obviously natalie miller did win the first regionals yep. but since then you know but if we just kind of mark that maybe as the outlier the you know the first regionals or whatever the rest of the tournaments, that's pretty accurate. Mew has made very consistent top eights, absent, of course, from Salt Lake City, the tournament that it was heavily, heavily countered at. But since then, it's been two, three, four copies of the deck in top eight, but has not been able to close it out. It has been Arceus reigning supreme through the rest of the regionals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arceus has been super dominant in terms of the wins, uh, the placements and stuff. Yeah, Mew has still done very well, right? It's 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 win rate. It's It's... Um, you know, it's day two. It's so hard to like judge the day two conversion because Arceus is like there's so many Arceus variants. I almost just like want to lump them all together for the most part. Maybe you separate Arceus and Italian and Arceus B barrel, but besides that, there's so many. Like Arceus is definitely the most played deck in the format, yeah. but there's so many variants it's hard to compare it to Mew in terms of like conversion. Well, I rate. remember a, a few months ago you were saying that it was like hard to compare the Arceus decks because they're so different. Yeah. So like has something changed like just the way the format has kind of evolved, do they all just really blend together like that? I do kind of think so for the most part. Like I feel like I think I think the one difference in Arceus builds is how much they tech for the Mew matchup. And it's like sometimes they're just like sure. I'll put, like like with Phillips build it's like I'll put a path into play and I'll do it again and if it sticks all right and some are like very minimal on mutex and they play like one path and they're like all right I mean if I path Marnium once or twice if it doesn't stick I guess I lose you know we look at something like um, Henry Brand's build or what Stefan played at at uh, Bremen and it was like you know one path no dark Pokemon you can kind of prize race them a little bit more aggressively with the cross switchers and even set up like a board state of like lone arceus v-star with a big charm and be like all right if you're able to conserve your tablets and you can quad tablet me this turn whatever you got me or triple tablet whatever you got me but if, you know if you don't then you all of a sudden i'm bossing again next turn and now all of a sudden i'm gonna bench another arceus and i'm winning the prize straight all of a sudden so i think um yeah like it depends like the arceus but like the big thing is like i feel like almost all arceus mirrors doesn't really matter how far you tech for the mew matchup because even the cards you tech for the mew matchup are good against other arceus decks like most Arceus mirrors just all kind of come, they all feel like they're 50 50. Like it almost all, like every little like extra card you have for whatever other matchup can somehow be utilized in the Arceus mirror, whether it be the baby Moltres or the Beedrill or just being more consistent and having like the cross switchers. Like every, or playing like the Urshifu list that got top eight at Bremen. Like you have the Urshifu in there. Um, some of them have the baby Jolteon, some of them don't, but it really feels like they all cut, get very close to 50 50s. I think the one surprise factor in the Arceus mirrors right now is the baby Jolteon. 
but I think that can be kind of solved for the Inteleon builds by simply playing Punkaboo. Because you just go Punkaboo, you get access to your Starbirth consistently, and then you can get answers for the Jolteon pretty consistently. I think if you don't play the Punkaboo and you play like the Collapse Stadium or something, you're going to have a harder time. But if you just rock the Punkaboo in the Arceus Inteleon build, then I think that they kind of comes... It might just be favored at that point, and that might kind of push Jolteon out of the meta if the Arceus Inteleon just start adding the Punkaboo in the Tool Scrapper. Um, just to have either raw draw options into dealing with the Jolteon or, you know, guaranteeing that Starbirth. Um, we might just see Jolteon get kind of push out of the meta because of that. Um, but if not, I mean, it's just close. Like, it just all feels like it's like 50-50s. Like, it's like how far do you want to tech for the Mew matchup and what variant you're going to kind of tech for the Mew matchup. But otherwise, like all the Arceus matchups, when they go to head-to-head, -head, it feels very, very close to 50-50. As long as you know what your opponent has in, in their list. I'm sure the cross switch is an echoing horn for Medi and uh, Henry, you know, last week and were a huge surprise. And they probably won a ton of games because no one had any idea what was happening. You know what I'm saying? So, but besides that, once you know what your opponent's rocking, it feels very, very close for sure. It definitely does feel like they're all 50-50, or really close at least, and there's not many ways to get an advantage in the mirror, but uh, a way that one player decided to try and get an advantage in the mirror was with Disruption, with Hammers, which is what ended up winning the Vancouver Regionals by Parker Lish, and Parker actually ended up getting ninth place in Secaucus, so he goes from getting ninth place in Secaucus to winning Vancouver just one weekend later, which is pretty crazy uh, to have that consistency over two tournament weekends. Like we were just talking about how these tournaments are, it's really tough to make a deep run at a tournament in general. The fact that he was able to do it at two back-to-back -back is pretty wild with the, uh, the Arceus with Crushing Hammers and the Fan of Waves and all that. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely like a different kind of build. Yeah, the back-to-back, -back, you know, impressive results there for sure. Um, and yeah, it's just a different take on Arceus. You got the Crushing Hammers in there, very much leaving the uh <laughs> the matchup into a little bit uh or your matchup's a little bit in the fate of the hammers but besides that it's like a super like kind of straightforward build right like there's no uh b barrel there's no inteleon as crobat they had the the luminian in there and the orangaroo for like as far as consistency pokemon mm -hmm. go they had all of those in there and then you just try it. it's very consistent at getting off that turn to arceus i think past that point is when it can start to struggle for options um, especially if your, your opponent like, puts a path to the peak in place, just on your Crobat or your Luminion. Like, you're going to struggle for options past that point, but if the, the Hammers and the Fans, um, and you know you just consistently getting out of turn two Arceus is going to put you far enough ahead, then that's all you kind of need, right? So like, it's, it's kind of just built to try and get, I feel like, an early advantage through all that stuff. Um, and you know you, never, you can always hit some cheesy mid-game, late-game flips that also get you an advantage at some point as well with the Crushing Hammers, um, which they always do feel a little... Crushing Hammer always feels a little cheesy, but it's definitely a very, very powerful card, right? We've seen it a long... Uh, or quite a bit throughout the last couple years, and it's always been uh, a pretty solid card in a lot of formats, and especially when in this format right now where Arceus is so dominant and so reliant on that turn one energy attachment. And I feel like actually going to this weekend specifically, a lot of the Arceus decks, you know, were straying away from that Inteleon build or even just kind of the basic water Inteleon build, which means it's going to mm -hmm. be harder to recover from a Crushing Hammer Heads when you're playing, you know, the, the Baby Jolteon builds or something like the Arceus Corviknight build, right? Like... You can't as reliably, especially if Parker's throwing down a path to the peak of their own, you can't as reliably pull off like a Melanie or a Raihan. And if they're not even taking a knockout, you can't Raihan anyways. And a lot of those those builds play Raihan as their uh, recovery. Their 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 the their their energy excel recovery supporter is is is, is Raihan. So it's like, okay, if you boss KO my Arceus, I can Raihan. But Parker's just getting a crushing hammer heads and then punching your active, right? They're not even taking a knockout mm -hmm. potentially. There's the crushing hammer heads, remove your energy, punch your active Arceus not drawing a prize card and then they really start to pull away um you know turns after that so i feel like also just kind of for the meta it kind of like uh 
worked out worked out pretty well for Parker as well, where people's Arceus decks, decks were kind of headed. And obviously, like, the Mew matchup, they got Path, and they got Hammer Sure Remove Energy. That's going to be just pretty good against Mew. And like I said, yeah, it's like yeah, all Arceus decks, like, have their, their own kind of way to beat Mew, and it just depends on how far you want to go, or if the, the, the decks like this one are kind of neutrally good against Arceus and Mew, like the Crushing Hammers and the Phantom Wave, so... Yeah. So yeah, when I was writing the uh, when I was writing out the outline for our episode, one of the questions that kind of came to my mind is: Are the hammers making their way into decks? Is that a sign of the evolution of the format or the devolution of the format? <laughs> Where are, are, is the format advancing? Is this like the way to try to think about things? You know, punishing res like you know resource mismanagement or just is it devolving? to the point of i gotta hope to you know flip some coins and hit some heads and that's the way i'm gonna get an advantage in the mirror um i mean i feel like it's just like another like i just arceus is just it's so weird because arceus is just so strong it just does feel like you can kind of put anything you want with it and i think the the results from this weekend really do show that like as long as you put cards in your deck that consistently do something in enough matchups we look at Philip winning with Arceus, Sincino, Jolteon, right? Jolteon really good against all the Intellion decks. And they have Sincino, which is a draw engine, and they have Arceus. And then you look at Parker. Uh, Parker, listen, it's Arceus. And then Crushing Hammers you can use in every single matchup. Guru's good in every single matchup. Crobat, Luminian, uh, Crobat as, your atta as a secondary attacker is good in every matchup, not just up against Mew VMAX, the Crobat VMAX. Um, so it really does just kind of feel like as long as enough of your cards do enough, do something in like 80, can do something in like 80% of your games, like you can really throw whatever you want with Arceus and it's probably going to be solid. Of course, some are probably better than others. And I think there's some things that are specifically better depending on the format. Like I think Jolteon in the evolution of this format will probably get a little bit worse, but who knows, but we only got one more regional in this format, right? Going into Astral Radiance, Jolteon could be uh, bonkers once again, or definitely probably have its for uh, tournaments, right? Where people kind of stop teching for it, stop worrying about it as much, and then Jolteon kind of squeak through. Or maybe off the rip, no one's going to be trying to worry about baby Jolteon initially, and then, you know, it can, you know, do very well in the initial tournaments that uh, that happens. Uh, like this, yeah, I mean, I feel like you can kind of, like, as long as, like, a enough of your cards do something in, like, 80% of your games, it doesn't really matter what you put with Arceus for the most part, it feels like. Yeah, is is uh jolteon roxanne the new garbotoxin in <laughs> the way to like come back into games that you had no business winning before maybe so we will have to see but it's yeah kinda... uh other than that other uh something to talk about in vancouver was the uh, second place finish from Tord reklev yep. with rapid strike urshifu also a top eight finish by justin bokari obviously two of the best players in the game right now toward getting top eight at uic justin also getting top eight at uic and we didn't see much from urshifu in the last couple of regional championships toward got second place in uh lil right or at the bilbao special event one of those two tournaments he got second place right uh with Arche uh, with um urshifu but uh, and justin lost his winning in on the stream in Secaucus, so he was yeah. still close uh to getting into day two and you know, if he gets into day two you know that's that's when he becomes powerful right so uh yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't know uh, uh urshifu where do we feel like it sits right now in the meta in a field full of arceus you know fighting guy versus the fighting weak pokemon has historically been pretty good yeah i think um i mean right now in this format i think it's it's just good right and we actually saw um i think the like the weakness to urshifu is when the arceus deck brings all the text right which we saw parker did have up against toward in the finals and was able to utilize 
two games in a row, just the ideal board state of Manaphy, Dunsparce, Hoopa, Arceus attacking. Um, did that two games in a row. And even then, the the, se the first game wasn't super close for Tord, but Tord got the second game to be pretty close. And Tord wasn't really playing a tech for the Hoopa, whereas uh, actually Justin was. Justin brought the Celebi. The Celebi, the, yeah. yeah. the Amazing Rare. Finally, some of the Amazing Rare <laughs> seen some success. Amazing Rare Celebi with the Energy Press. I believe it's 30 damage. Is it 30 plus 30 or 30 times? 30 times the amount of energy attached to your, yeah. Yeah, your opponent's active Pokemon. So you can hit... For one grass energy, Celebi hits the Hoopa for 180 damage or with Choice Belt when it KOs it. So you can either set up a, a Yoga Loop play on it or you can just go ahead and fresh when it KO it. Tor didn't really have a great answer to the Hoopa like uh, like Justin did, but still managed to keep the, the second game in the finals at least pretty close. And there were some routes, just couldn't quite get it going. Uh, it's really interesting to see, of course, like the, the major differences in the list as well, I think was, was interesting for sure. Um, toward with the Guru with the Primate Wisdom and still rocking the Artillery as well. And the Guru is pretty cool because, uh, I mean, I think it I mean, just helps you play around Marnie and uh, also the uh, the Malamar VMAX, I think, would, could have been a could have been a big one as well to help play around the Malamar VMAX because that would have been, that's that's something that, like, I feel like the Urshifu deck cannot handle. If a Malamar VMAX attacks with the Jolteon on the bench, like, after you Marnie them or something, I just don't think you, you're ever coming back from that. So, yeah, Urshifu doing well. Not a surprise. If they rock all the techs, and they're playing something like Parker's List, which is less reliant on Inteleon, so that way Avery's not ever an option for the Urshifu deck, which they, that's one of the ways that the Urshifu deck can actually beat, like, the Inteleon uh, Arceus build when they have the Hoopa, the Manaphy, the Dunsparce, whatever. You Marnie them, and now they have to pick what they keep, right? But when they mm -hmm. don't play the Inteleon line, and they're more reliant on draw supporters... Uh, and don't need as many Pokemon on their bench to set up, you know, Parker, you can do what Parker did where you kind of have perfect board state but still have options in the hand without needing shady dealings. Yeah, and speaking of the Malamar VMAX you were just mentioning, um, did had a pretty good weekend. It didn't make top eight at either of the two tournaments, but when I was looking, I didn't get to watch either of the tournaments because I was working at the full grip tournament. But from looking at the results on Pokestats, there was like a good amount of Malamar VMAX in day two of both tournaments. Did they have a lot of them on the streams like throughout the days, I would imagine? Yeah, we saw Gabriel Smart beat Rahul in round like five or six, I think, to get to six wins, maybe. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was to get to... Yeah, I think it was to get to six. I think they're both like 5-1-1. One, one. Um, and yeah, we saw that. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember if I saw any in day two. I didn't watch a whole ton of day two. I didn't see any. Uh, oh, I saw. I saw. Actually, I saw one as well in um, on the Bremen regional stream as well. Actually, Ty went up against it and top decked <laughs> top decked boss after they took the boss out of the hand with the Malamar. Yeah, oh so, my gosh! Yeah, they attacked. Ty had a boss in hand for game. Put it on the bottom of the deck and then tie top deck, uh, top deck boss the on the next day. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And Ty was still That's rocking wild. their. Ty was still rocking their Sylveon box, um, Sylveon box deck that they're always playing. But um, yeah, there was there was there was quite a few out there. Yeah, none of them made top eight. Um, and I think that was maybe kind of a product of a lot of other Arceus decks doing the baby Jolteon thing, but then also it felt like maybe just being. I don't know, maybe just better decks overall. Um, like, they almost took the step further where they included the baby Jolteon, but then they were also like, I'm going to do something different. So when you go up against the Malamar build, a lot more people know what's going on with that, but you go up against Philip Schultz's build um, or even like the, the Gyarados build that Drew Kennett played to uh, a top four finish, and you're just like, you have less idea of, of what's happening. So, uh, But I think I wouldn't have been surprised if they had made, made top eight and all, but it was definitely the most known of the Jolteon builds after Grant did so well with it at uh, New Jersey Regionals for sure. I think that's the one people were like, okay, if I need a test up against a baby Jolteon build, it's going to be this Malamar thing.
yeah, Malamar VMAX, very solid. And I think it only gets a little better uh, with the next set. Yeah, Dark Patch, Roxanne for sure. And yeah, the rest of the top eight, we mentioned real fast from Vancouver. Drew Ken at third place with the Arceus Jaltion Gyarados. There was an Arceus, uh, Arceus Corviknight in the top eight as well, piloted by... Uh, Nathan, uh, two I know news. you're not a uh, you're not a big <laughs> fan of the Arceus Corviknight, right? No, not a huge fan. It did get there though. It did get there. And like I said, if you're playing an Arceus deck with cards that like you know 80 percent of the time, if your cards are good, you know, then it's not mm -hmm. going to be it's not going to be a bad deck. That's for sure. Um, and then uh, an Arceus Intellion as well. There's Arceus Intellion in the top eight as well. Um, so nothing too crazy, I think overall. Like when you look at what did well i don't think that there was anything too crazy like everything kind of makes sense that it could do well right um for sure yeah so i still think that maybe the the coolest craziest deck definitely was still philip out of both top eights i think philip really brought the like I, I just would never expected that to work and it like after playing the deck quite a bit it's so minimal there's so little in the deck um and it almost doesn't feel like if you prize stuff you lose but like it has just enough to consistently win games like pretty handedly it's like weird it's weird when you play it it just it just feels so minimal i don't know there's no other way to really explain it i think it probably is uh, a decent deck maybe going forwards as well um, i think i mean there's some deck out there that'll probably be the best deck to run with the baby jolteon and that deck will be a solid deck no matter what and it could be the sensino arceus build for sure well let's go ahead and move on to the next section of putting a bow on the brilliant stars format so we'll talk a little bit next week about the results from chile but the bulk of next week's episode is going to be about the new tournament and kind of our first look at milwaukee which will be just a couple of weeks away at that point so putting a bow on the brilliant stars formats as we wrap this up there's been so many tournaments in this format and definitely it feels like Arceus has risen to the top. Arceus is the best card. It is the card of the format. It is what people are building their decks around. Obviously, it kind of started with Mew, and people were trying to counter the Mews, but now Arceus has just become so consistent. It has proven to be so strong, and it is a little bit less... Uh, I, I think that... Arceus is maybe a little bit easier to play than Mew decks, and it's also you have more control over your game than you do with Mew, and for those two reasons, players have tended to lean more towards Arceus as opposed to Mew. Do you agree with that? Um, I think so. Yeah, maybe just like the variance of Mew. Also, like, it's, like not only is it hard to play Mew well, when every deck has some different or unique answer potentially sometimes, um, it can be very hard unless you're a very seasoned player who just like knows how to handle that in general. Like when you go up against, you know, a random 60 cards, you know, it doesn't phase, you know, the better players in the game as much as it does the average players, right? So when you go up against sure. someone who's like so all of a sudden rocking Crushing Hammers as one of their answers to Mew or Maltrace V, you know, you know, it's going to be harder to tackle um, just on the fly if you're, you know, just not quite as seasoned of a player. So uh, I think that definitely has scared people off. I still think the format is revolving around you in the sense that, like, I, I think one of the one of the good examples would be something like anything that, like any kind of one-hit KO deck doesn't get played because, not because it has a bad Arceus matchup, but it's because you can't beat Mew with it. Like, stuff like Ray VMAX or Ice Rider. Like, the reason those decks aren't very popular, not because they have a bad Arceus matchup. They have a good Arceus matchup. It's because they have a bad Mew matchup. So I think Mew is still kind of the gatekeeper of the format, even if... Or like, Arceus Charizard, even. Yeah, exactly. Even if the majority of the meta is... Um, is Arceus 
there's still too much Mew being played at too high of a level to actually make it be able to have a consistent result playing something like the Arceus Charizard or a Rayquaza VMAX deck or anything like that. Because if you go up against Mew, I mean, you can get fortunate sometimes and beat them. It's not impossible to beat them. Majority of the time, you're going to lose. Um, and it's just kind of like a hard, you know, that's a hard hit. That's what makes it hard to want to play these kind of decks for sure. But um, we might be moving past that a little bit more as we get to the next format, hopefully. But yeah, I mean, any, any, and besides that, if you're not playing Mew, you're probably playing an Arceus deck, which kind of just like match up 50-50 into each other, right? So you're not really making too big of a decision on your Arceus matchup when you pick Arceus, unless you're trying to, you know, next level the Arceus mirror, like we saw like Matty B and Henry Brand do. Um, and we continue to see now with the Jolteon decks um, moving forward, where you're trying to next level the overall majority of Arceus decks. But still, overall, you always are trying to have to beat Mew, and you can't solely just look to beat Arceus decks, unfortunately. Definitely not. Well, as we, you know, kind of look at the end of this format, we've seen so many different Arceus variants. If you were to go and play, like, say, um, you know, five years from now, people want to go back and play this format for, you know, whatever reason. Uh, you know, people <laughs> people like to build their old decks. And you're ready to sit down at a regional championship. Someone has their 2022 decks there, and uh, it's like they've got a bunch of different Arceus decks. Which one are you going to be picking up to play? Arceus and Teleon for sure. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Arceus and Teleon, I think. Just the straightforward water build. Hopefully they have cross switchers in the list, and then, yeah. That's, that's the if one not, I would you're going to take two cards and turn them backwards yeah. and get these are my cross switchers. <laughs> yeah. <so> like, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, I thought it would be kind of cool to try and break down a little bit of a tier list here at the end of the format, just between Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. And the way that I've always kind of thought about the tiers, you know, uh, Tier 1 being the most popular and strongest decks in the format, Tier 2 being extremely solid decks that can have good consistent finishes, but are just maybe a little less popular or less powerful than the Tier 1 decks. Yeah. And then Tier 3 would be decks that are still, you know, fine, solid, can do well, but are weaker than everything else. You know, kind of standard tier list stuff, I guess. So I wrote down um, in the outline my idea of a tier list. And in Tier 1, I put Arceus and Tellian and Mew as the two tier one decks. But you were saying before we started the podcast, you kind of just want to group all the Arceus decks together in uh, in tier one. I mean, it's pretty close. I guess there's three. I think you could maybe have three versions of Arceus. It would be like Arceus B-Barrel slash Parker Lish build. Then you could have Arceus Baby Jolteons. And then you could have Arceus Inteleon builds. And I think that, and, it, and like some of them are going to be better or worse. Like, be, like Arceus B-Drill is good um, until everyone knows about it. Because then we saw people adding Parasol. We saw people adding yeah. uh, basic water energy. And like when I'm like thinking about a format and what I want to play for a tournament, that's what I think about as well. Is it's just like, okay, Arceus Beedrill, I don't think about it as like a constant deck to be worth playing. Same thing with like Arceus Baby Jolteon decks. Like if I think people are going to be adding the Punkaboos and the Tool Scrappers, I'm just going to try and find a different Arceus build if I'm set on playing Arceus, right? So that's kind of how I've always thought about it. And it's kind of like they flow in and out of the meta. Um, and of course, you could always talk about in terms of like in a vacuum, but then that would just make, uh, you know, Arceus and Teleon and Mew the two best decks, no matter what. And everything else would be kind of bad, depending on because you don't know fully what everyone else is going to play. But, you know, when the Arceus and Teleons are adding basic waters and stuff, it makes Arceus Beedrill worse. But like overall, Arceus Beedrill can flow in and out of the meta when people are preparing or not preparing for it. Right. So I always kind of feel well, like it's just kind of, you know. Yeah. So let's break them down like that so there's three we'll just for the purposes of the tier list here say there's three arceus decks arceus and Tellian, 
Arceus Bibarel and then Arceus Jolteon. Maybe like Arceus Chinchino Jolteon, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So tier one, Arceus Intellion and Mew. Do we agree with that? Yeah, I think so for sure. And then so in tier two, I would put the other two Arceus decks, the Arceus Jolteon and the Arceus Bibarel. Yeah. And then Rapid Strike Urshifu VMAX, I think definitely very solid. Difficult to play. It definitely has some problems as well, though. Like, I think good players have played it and um, just not done as well with it because it, you know, can can have some issues. And if the right texts are there for it, like the Hoopa V is hard to deal with. Even like the Celebi is cute and it's like a, a cool little play you can do. Is it even the most consistent to pull off on that one specific turn, though, that the Hoopa comes in, right? Um, so I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Is, is that a good place for Rapid Strike Urshifu VMAX in the Tier 2? I would almost want to push it to Tier 1 because, like, the amount that it gets played... Bro, we don't have that many Tier 1 decks. I know, but the <laughs> amount that it gets played versus its results are, like, you know, it's got a pretty good... That's fair. ...play rate to what's it called. And then, I mean, you just look at, like, the consistency of even someone just, like... And it is toward, of course, but, like, um, even players like Justin... Um, or Bradner and like the few terms they played. I think I definitely think it lost quite a bit of its power once it like after EUIC. Like the deck was just worse because people just knew what people were playing in the deck more so than anything. Right. Um, like it's just like, oh, I know you play these things. So now I can like, you know, make more educated plays to kind of make you reach a little bit harder turn to turn, you know, time your Marnie's a little bit better and so on. So I almost want to put it tier one, but it probably should. Yeah. Yeah. Tier two for Ursh makes uh, makes the most sense probably. And then in Tier 3, we've got a couple decks here. The Malamar, things like Intellian VMAX, Sylvian VMAX, Ice Rider Calyrex VMAX, all decks that have kind of popped up here and there, not done the best. Malamar, I think at a time, was a little higher up in the tier yeah. list, but right now at the end of the format feels like is uh, kind of fits firmly in the Tier 3 spot. Still solid and still could make a deep run, obviously, but not quite as strong as the other decks above it. Yeah, no, yeah, it kind of stinks. I wish Malamar had been able to stick around, but I think there's just, like, too many gimmicky plays that pretty much any Arceus deck can do. But, you know, with people and with people switching over to the Baby Jolteon, like, it's that much harder for it. Um, so you'd have to, like... <laughs> it's so hard to find a meta where Malamar can, like, function now because, yeah, Baby Jolteon literally just beats you, and then even the Intellion Arceus builds, you know, they have a bunch of little funky plays that make it really hard for you, you know, like, once you get to, like, turn three, turn four, for you to be able to keep your board state in, like, a manageable position to deal with those plays and be able to, take consistent knockouts every turn so that kind of stinks i wish we really wish i had kind of stuck around as like a you know a tier one deck but i think as the as the matchup kind of got got solved against it more so than anything it fell off fell off pretty hard pretty fast so when i'm judging a format and thinking about if it was a good format or a bad format kind of the things i look to are how competitive do the games feel how skillful do the matches feel is there a, a wide amount of deck diversity and how fun is it do i enjoy playing the game because at the end of the day pokemon's supposed to be fun we you know we play this game because we enjoy it we love it um but the skillfulness the competition all those things are definitely important as well and so thinking back on this format we've obviously had so many tournaments in it there has been so much movement in the meta from the beginning to the end. Like at the beginning, we're talking about Gengar Houndoom, and we haven't talked about Gengar Houndoom for a month, right? Yeah. Um, so the, the, the meta really has shifted so much, and the card pool is the same. So it's always hard to judge a format on whether or not it's a good or bad format. It's almost like you have to judge a meta on whether or not it's a good or bad meta. I don't know. <laughs> 
Um, I think it was like, uh, yeah, I guess that's fair. Like, but I think you like, and it depends how much lifetime the the format has to kind of evolve. Because you always kind of, I think the best way to judge it is at the end of the format, right? Like, um, For sure. you judge the format based on the where it, the kind of the last tournament left off, and that's kind of where you kind of have to maybe the last two tournaments, right? Like, if there's like a big meta shift in the last two tournaments, but yeah, I don't think anyone's going back and being like Gengar's, you know, one of the best decks of the format or anything like no, that, no. right? We get to the end here, and it's like, sure, depending on how the meta evolved from here, we could see a swing where Gengar comes back around. Because I, I imagine Gengar probably pairs pretty well up against, like, these Arceus, B-Barrel, Jolteon decks, right? You're just like, one a KO, one a KO, one a KO, and the game's over, right? So we could have gotten to a point, and maybe, who, who knows, Chile, Gengar could still get a dub or something like that, right? So, but, no, I think it, I mean, overall for this, for I think it was okay. I'm not, like, a huge fan of just kind of the endless Arceus mirrors and then Mew's impact on the meta still. Um, even though we see Mew not winning, I still think it has a negative impact on the format, not by, because of Mew itself, but just because of how power, the power level of the deck and the way the deck can kind of, just kind of forces the meta to warp around it. Just like, and to me is unenjoyable. So I think the, and I think that the, the amount of Arceus is kind of just due to that. Cause that's the only deck that can consistently keep up with Mew is Arceus, like with all these different builds too. So it's kind of like you're playing these Arceus decks and you're trying to one up the other Arceus decks as, as any way you can, while just making sure you can also beat Mew along the way. Right. So, um, but I think it was okay overall, um, but I'm excited to get some more decks in the mix. I think it's a little bit stale to have basically it just be Arceus in Mew, especially when it feels like so many of the Arceus matchups are so close to 50-50, it doesn't feel like it matters too much what goes on as long as you're not you're not you're not uh, getting too surprised by stuff like Baby Jolteon. Yeah, as far as the deck diversity category of that goes, it's like there is deck diversity because all the Arceus decks are different, but they're also like very similar. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's like 50% of the decks are all different, but they kind of all meld together just because Arceus is Arceus so yeah I do think that there is it's been a it hasn't been an unfun format I think that yeah, yeah. that's uh, one of the big things when you think about bad formats it's hard to know like right in the moment you almost get a better idea looking back right so like in a year from now looking back or two years from now looking back um because in the moment i think everyone's opinions are like their their vision is kind of clouded into their thoughts of the format or the thoughts of the, where the game is at um because like at the time in 2017 like i mean i think people were having fun playing the game and then now looking back people think about that as like the best modern era of pokemon and then if you look back just even a year before that at 2016 worlds we we're actually talking about this at dinner last night how 2016 worlds might be the worst all-time world format because it that? was just not a fun field it was trevenant and vile plume and seismitoad it's like oh. you just didn't and, and turn one hex maniac like it was it just a degenerate toxic format where you didn't really get to play a lot of your games yeah yeah no for sure i'd actually yeah and we don't have that in this format right like you get to like sometimes you get marnied out of the game which sucks Sometimes you go Sobble Pass, which sucks, but that's gonna, those things are gonna happen in any format, right? Yeah, I guess it just definitely just feels like it happens less in some format. I guess mean, yeah, Sobble Passing is like, that one's just gonna happen in every format. Marnie, the Marnie, I think, is like, definitely, it's like just reminiscent of Let Loose, right? Like, it's not, it's not as bad as Let Loose, but it still just kind of feels bad just to get Marnie turn one. 
And then, of course, you know, <laughs> some people's responses will just make your deck more consistent. Well, it's like you can only go so far to the point where your deck is super consistent, but you're doing 10 damage every turn, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. can't have it both ways, and that just happens, but it kind of stinks that uh, yeah, Marnie is that card. But thankfully, it doesn't look like there's going to be, you know, Marnie's not one of those continuous cards like the research in the boss. So when it rotates, we're going to be through with Marnie. We might move on to Judge, I guess, but... <laughs> hopefully there'll be some more creative interesting supporters that we can pair with our researches um or play instead of research in the you know the sets before rotation hits yeah maybe it just eventually becomes like we're playing researches and like you know some other couple draw supporters or something and then like two roxanne's and like a lot of decks or something like that i don't know roxanne's a weird one just because it's like so bad like it's a blank card at the very beginning of the game so it's very hard to play in a deck that can't search it out specifically like in an intellian deck for example but yeah no exactly i don't think uh i don't think uh roxanne is that it's it's, it's gonna be like a one of an intellion decks and then it's you're gonna struggle to want to put it as like a two of in any kind of b-barrel or non-intellion deck because you're gonna need like two of them i feel like to like maybe maybe you could still just still play one in like everything but it it's just it is so bad <laughs> it is so bad to just draw into early game you look at it and you're like even in a lot of my intellion builds i'm just not playing it because i'm like i'm just trying to like somehow gain the tempo in the prizes because if you're playing intellion versus intellion roxanning someone is not that good up against an intellion deck it's like okay Right, but if they need like a two card combo, they're like a evolution incense, a level ball, then ultra ball away from just shady dealing. So, um, sure. I don't think it'll have two, it won't have like a detrimental impact, but it will kind of feel bad to not have that kind of comeback card around. And now it's time for everyone's favorite section of the podcast. Yes, that flavor text where every week Azul or I picks a card, reads the little fun bit of text in the bottom corner called the flavor text. Off to the other, and the other play, uh, host gets to guess and see if they can figure out what the card is. And you, of course, can use one of the three lifelines, or all three of the lifelines. Then the three different light li- lifelines being what set is the card from, what stage is the card, and then read an attack name. And this week it is Azul's turn to pick a card. Are we still tied up at one-to-one, by the I th- way? I think so, yeah. Like, how, no, did you how, guess how the last are we tied up? What was the last one? The last one you did not get it. It was a Lolan Muck. Oh yeah, that was too hard to get. <clears throat> All right. I saw a bunch of YouTube comments saying I got the flavor <laughs> text this week. I got the flavor text this week. <laughs> I think it's fun that like people have uh, you know started to enjoy this segment and it's like they they are keeping track of their own scores almost right. Yeah yeah <laughs> no is at, it. At, at, uh, at full grip this weekend someone came up to me and pulled a card out of their deck and started reading the flavor text and trying to get me to guess what the <laughs> flavor text of the card was <laughs> did you get it yes it was uh it was galarian perserker ah of course galarian perserker what else could it have been <laughs> well it was All out right. of their glc deck and yeah go ahead it's fine so you, you're picked out you, you've picked out a card this week i have what what, what have we got what do we got okay <clears throat> there is an this is the flavor text there is an enduring legend that states this pokemon towed continents with ropes okay so i'm thinking of like the old legends like i like real life legends and stuff of um you know land being on the back uh, like ocean like continents and stuff being on the backs of massive turtles and stuff like that Uh, like i've seen that in like old 
I don't know. I've seen that before. <laughs> um, so that would lead me. And you, you say legend. So thinking that makes me think of like legendary Pokemon or just older Pokemon, ancient Pokemon, a.k.a. fossil Pokemon. And thinking of the tortoise, the turtle would lead me towards Caracosta or Tortuga. Uh, I would say it's probably not Tortuga because, you know, he's not strong enough to pull a continent. It's probably <laughs> a Caracosta. Because, I mean, look, look, right? I mean, am I right? Like, little Tortuga, he's not getting it done, right? No, I don't think so. He's not He's not powerful <laughs> enough. He's behind the gym. Um, I'm honestly kind of confident that it's a Caracosta. I could use one of my lifelines to thin it down, but the opportunity to just get four points here is pretty tempting. Um, you know what? I'm going to lock it in. I think it's, I think it's Caracosta. It is not Caracosta. I realized, <laughs> I actually realized how bad my pick was because of the lifeline. So I'm very lucky <laughs> that you did oh not. Oh my If gosh. you had said, if you had used any of the lifelines, you would have definitely. Well, don't say it yet. You want to try and guess now? No, no. I want you to read. I want you to, to answer the, the lifelines lifeline so that people can guess. If <laughs> okay, okay, guess. okay. Just Go down the lifeline list slowly. Okay. So we'll start with the first one. What set the card is from? Because that's kind of the most broad. Oh, I guess it depends on which way it goes. But uh, it's from the newest set from Astral Radiance. There's not a Caracosta. <clears throat> there is not a Caracosta. <clears throat> the stage, it is a basic. It's from the new set. It's a basic. And it, uh, the legend says it can tow continents with ropes. The ropes would have to be pretty strong, though. That's what I was thinking. Like, what kind of rope? Um, and then the attack name, and this one would have given it away immediately. <laughs> the attack name, I didn't realize this Pokemon had one attack until I like thought, until I like looked at it again. I was like, oh no. The attack name is Gigaton Break. Oh, is it Reggie Gigas? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Man. So definitely, uh, yeah, if you had just asked what the attack name, Come if you had used that lifeline. <laughs> Come on. I mean, even oh one point gosh. feels so valuable now. You could have burned all three lifelines, I feel like, and just like just to get that one point. I was confident, man. Uh, I was confident. Yeah, this this one I like I like read it when I was like playing the deck the other day on stream and I was like, okay, I could use this one. I didn't think about the lifelines at all though. And any of those would have I guess Astral Radiance wasn't too bad, but knowing it was a basic or definitely the attack name would have uh would have made it really easy to guess that it was the gigas. Um, <laughs> but let us know in the comment section on the YouTube if you guys are listening on the YouTube channel. If you guys got the uh, the flavor text this week, um, <clears throat> and how many how many lifelines did it take you? How many lifelines did it take for you guys to get to get to that? Um, all right, next up, let's talk full grip. A couple tournaments at yeah, full speaking grip. Speaking of astral radiance, right? Yeah, and you were there. So what was what were people playing? Because I know like the last couple times I've been at the full grip events, it's been. It definitely hasn't been very indicative of what the format will become. Um, just kind of either people just kind of putting some new cards in their current builds uh, or people just jumping on, you know, the bandwagon of what is the most hyped deck, which is Palkia. Uh, and I know there was some Palkia there, but what else were people playing uh, in the new format? Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know about these tournaments, it's hosted at the store in Full Grip, and they're pretty big. There was 140 players at this one. Uh, the one before it had around 150, so it's like right around that mark, which is pretty large for just like a local store tournament. And it's always really exciting because it's the new set. People love playing with the new cards. Um, but it's always a little tough because the little the new cards, it is release weekend, so the cards are a little hard to get. They do allow people to use foreign cards, so you can use Japanese cards 
which have been out for you know several weeks to a month now at this point so it's been a, a little easier for players to get their hands on those and they are much more cheap compared to the english cards though of course you don't get to um use them in official tournaments or anything like that but yeah it was a lot of fun and then so saturday was a standard tournament and then sunday was a gym leader challenge format tournament and if you don't know what gym leader challenge is it's a super fun monotype expanded no rule box pokemon format it's a much it's a super fun to play the pokemon tcg it's actually become my preferred format to play you know if i'm sitting around with a group of friends uh and we're all we've got pokemon decks if we're not cubing which is usually what we're trying to do but if we're not cubing we're not playing standard that's for sure we're either (laughs) playing old decks or we are playing gym leader challenge so it's a great time a lot of fun we'll talk more about gym leader challenge i'm sure at some point in the future on the podcast but for today we're focusing on standard and it's always interesting because the cards are harder to get, so people don't really play whatever the big, new, hyped-up cards are that often. So there's been four different ones. There was one for the Evolving Skies weekend, the one that you ended up winning. And for that tournament, the big hyped-up deck was Rayquaza VMAX. Now, obviously, Rayquaza VMAX ended up not being that great overall, but people were really hype on it at the time. And there was a couple people playing it, but the deck was pretty expensive. And so just overall, it felt like not a lot of people were on it at that tournament there was a couple but it wasn't that popular and then we moved to the fusion strike tournament even mu v max was kind of known as a deck that was going to be good and it really wasn't that played a couple of people played it um but for whatever reason like hard to get the cards more expensive whatever it was or or just not confident in their list people did not play mu v max yeah, a lot of dark on that we... one for sure there was a lot of dark what's that <clears throat> a lot of people yeah, like we're yeah. just like playing a counter mu yeah, definitely. People were prepared for that matchup. And then the most recent one before this was Brilliant Stars, where obviously Arceus came out. And I think the biggest reason Arceus didn't do as well is because it was so expensive. Everyone knew the card was going to be good. I think the pre-sale prices on Arceus's were like the V-Stars. was It was like 60 or 70 bucks, yeah. <laughs> something like that. It was ridiculous. People were trying to get their hands on them as quickly as possible. So Arceus didn't do very well at that one (laughs) either, if I remember correctly. Uh, But at this tournament, there was a ton of Palkia, like a bunch. It was the second most played deck in the room behind all the Arceus variants. So if you break down the Arceus variants, that would make Palkia the most played deck in the room, which is pretty wild when we're talking about release weekend specifically. Yeah, I think it probably has to do with the fact that it needed it, it's like unlike compared to arceus or mew there's very little to like need to just find out about palkia right you're gonna play it with intellion and you know it's like ability allows it to attack turn there's like not that much you like it's just an intellion deck you're just like plugging your palkias into an intellion deck for the most part and then the only other new card that you really had to get was the trainer card i read or whatever um and you're either it depends how many you want to play of that i've seen lists with four i've seen lists with none right so um yeah, I feel like it was just a lot less to kind of figure out about Pocket compared to something like an Arceus or even uh, the Mew VMAX. And I feel like it probably wasn't quite as expensive as either of those cards when they first dropped either. No, definitely not. I think at the shop they were selling Palkias for like 35 bucks, which is kind of expensive, but it's like on par with how expensive Arceus V-Star is right now, right? Yeah. So like for a pre-order price, usually pre-orders are much more expensive, right? Yep. Uh, for a pre-order price, honestly, for uh, what the best card in the set is supposed to be, it is not 
too bad. So a bunch of people were playing it, and a few made top eight as well. There was actually one specific list that was really interesting uh, from Andrew Martin and Mike Gibbs. Andrew Martin, a former regional champion. Mike Gibbs, super solid player from kind of this Midwest area. I think he's from Michigan. Um, he's done really well at the Full Grip Games tournaments yep. in the past. He won, he's won one of the GLC tournaments. He's made top eight at a couple of them as well, and he made top eight at this one with a really interesting deck. It was Arceus, or not Arceus, it was Palkia Intellian Bieberel. Yep. So he had the 1-1 Bieberel in there kind of as an answer to Roxanne, and he was playing no draw supporters. There was no research, no Marnie. His only way to like draw cards off the top of the deck was either drawing them for turn, Bieberel, or the one copy of Melanie that he played, which is kind of crazy. Oh, I had the Greninja as well, I assume, right? Radiant Greninja? Yeah, and Radiant Greninja, yes. Can't forget that. Of course, of course. That card is that card's pretty insane for sure. If you can like if you have extra energy every single turn, those extra cards are pretty good. <clears throat> Yeah, definitely. So the Greninja was very good. And kind of the way he would set up his deck was he would, uh, if he went first, try to get, you know, stuff in play if he could as quickly as possible, try to set up the Beaverail. But if he went second, he would try to use the turn one Arita, go get a water Pokemon, put it onto the bench, and then get Battle VIP Pass. He played two Arita and two Battle VIP Pass in the list. And actually, in some of his stream games, we saw him go first and just open up one of the two Battle <laughs> VIP Pass, which was just... It was just like so gross, man. <laughs> so yeah. gross. It's definitely that definitely is a as like a mute player when you play when you play four of those things sometimes and don't see when you got your Cramomatics and your Rotom phones you can't find a single battle VIP pass turn one someone just rocking two of them in their Palkia just opening one raw definitely uh definitely hits for sure but uh, yeah that is that is pretty gross yeah definitely very interesting list like um and that's kind of uh similar to like what I've been discovering too is like you don't really want to. You don't need to. Like, with the draw power of Greninja, and then Irita kind of getting whatever you want. Like, I was trying out a Bliss with, like, four Cross Switchers and four Irita. Like, you just kind of put it together, and if you need to Gus, you Cross Switcher, and you still play some kind of boss and stuff, but and then also the Leon in there as well. Like, you usually get a bigger... You see more damage, right? Echoing Horn, Choice Belt, Quick Shooting, Leon. Like, you just try and put as much damage together for those big one-hit KOs when you can. Um, yeah, it definitely feels like you don't need those those the heavy draw supporters at the very least. And then the, the Melanie's just nice sometimes when you need that extra energy in play, of course. Right. And that was what Mike said in one of his winter interviews with Andrew. is like, yeah, I don't want to draw cards. I want to play boss or Leon every single turn. Yeah. <clears throat> just be really aggressive. And it definitely showed how strong Palkia is, especially going first. You don't even have to get an energy attachment to Palkia on turn one going first because yeah. of its... Uh, star portal v star power just allowing you to throw three energy from your discard pile onto your water pokemon however you want so even if you miss an energy drop you can still get two on it turn two you go boss's orders choice belt and even if they only have one or two bench pokemon you're hitting for a ton of damage yeah it's pretty insane yeah so palkia was everywhere uh was there any other standout new decks was anyone rocking anything like a samurai mm -hmm. like i don't none of the none of that kind of stuff made top eight turbo dark i did see turbo dark turbo dark there was a couple lists i saw one on stream they were like in a position to be like they're like four one four oh or something i saw at some point yeah um, we had a turbo dark on we had samurai on a couple of times samurai is like fine it's a good deck the problem with samurai is that it's trying to do the exact same thing that palkia is but palkia needs less every turn yeah. than Samurott does, right? It is a V-Star Pokemon. You have to evolve it. You have to get two energy cards on it, and then you just swing for consistent damage for two energy cards. You're trying to boss, 
take out Pokemon V before they become V-Stars, and if they do become V-Stars, you use your V-Star power as Samurott to throw the extra damage on there, get the Choice Belt, and try to take a one-hit knockout. Um, but yeah, so Samurott is like trying to do the same thing, but you're having to work in a way to get a damage counter on a Pokemon. And you can use the V-Star power, you can use Galarian Zigzagoon, but it's like needing that one extra thing, I think just makes it really difficult to ever justify choosing Samurott over Palkia. Like, if Palkia didn't exist, Samurott, I think, would be pretty solid. But it's just like Palkia, it, it feels like it's trying to do the same thing, and Palkia is the better, more consistent option. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like Palkia is definitely like just a very powerful deck. I think Samurott's pretty good. I think it's, I think uh, a lot of people have written it off or we're talking about how, you know, not good it is, but I think Palkia just, or Samurott just needs, you know, someone to crack the list. I think that's where we're at right now. And that's what I've been doing. Like, I've been trying to get very bare bones with it, just very consistent. And I've been seeing like Samurott a decent... Samurott for Milwaukee, huh? <laughs> Maybe. I've been getting it pretty consistent so far. Um, and I think that's, and then I'm trying to like avoid going the combo route with it where you like are very much playing it kind of like the Urshifu decks where you have like baby Maltrace and Clara and you have the, the bigger Medicham plays and you're playing like the Snorlax. I'm trying to play it very straightforward Samurai because Samurai can, if you set up, you're taking one hit KOs every single turn potentially on their V Pokemon. And it can be hard for stuff like Arceus to like kind of match that pace. Palkia on the other hand, definitely has a better time of trying to match that pace, but, um, you yeah. know, it could could you could get it to the point where it's like kind of who goes first of Samurai mm. versus Palkia. Yeah, Kevin Baxter was actually playing a really interesting Samurai list. He had a one rare candy, one Galarian Obstagoon line in his deck. So you can rare candy into Obstagoon, spread the damage, so you add more damage for Samurai. And then it's also a really good tech against Mill Tank because you can attack the Mill Tank. <laughs> And obstruct makes it so mill tank can't damage you. It's actually kind of funny how it works out. And speaking of mill tank, there was actually quite a few mill tank decks running around at this tournament, which I was a little surprised by. I think there was like seven or so, something like that, which is Man. for a release weekend tournament, a little surprising. Yeah, and one of the May top eight, right? It was a mill tank blissey. That's right, mill tank blissey. Which, May uh, top eight. I think has had some success in Japan, so I'm, I'm sure they kind of ran with that idea initially. Miltank overall seems a little bit underwhelming, um, but you just got to find that right partner. I mean, maybe Blissey is just the best partner for Miltank, right? But that feels so weird, like, because Blissey yeah, is just... it's a very meta-reliant card, right? It because feels people like can it. start respecting the card, and if they start respecting the card and playing techs or ways to really deal with it effectively, then it's not worth playing Blissey because people are going to have attackers that can knock it out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Miltank, I think it'll have its moments, so for sure. I'm sure it'll pop up when... It could even be one of those kind of situations where it's like the meta just is not prepared for someone's Miltank build, and then it just wins, right? Like, I could definitely see that. But getting all the answers together this, is going to be tough. If, I wonder if there's some, like, basic fighting Pokemon that can do, like, 30 damage for a colorless or something like that, <laughs> or if even 50 damage for a colorless, because you can just... Slap in a Palkia deck, you could slap it down, put a basic water energy on it, Leon for turn. Yeah, knock out the mill tank. <laughs> yeah, it's probably out there. I haven't looked yet. I mean, I feel like with with between Greninja and, and Aqua Bullet, you're probably beating mill tank based on those, to be honest. With the with yeah, Palkia, maybe so, maybe um, so, but like, yeah, but if, if mill tank can find the if, I think the biggest answer for mill the biggest question for mill tank is can you beat? Aquable Inteleon, because if you can, you can find a way to beat that consistently and then not fall too far behind in the prize exchange. Then uh, I think I think there's some hope for Miltank for sure. You got to find the right partners, and I think one of those things yeah. with decks like Miltank is like what we've seen in the past with like the 
the baby hoopa or quad hoopa deck when they had like all those weird tech cards like the one of mewtwo and the orangaroo and all that stuff um that those kind of lists were very much built on knowing what the meta was and knowing people's answers for your hoopas and we just kind of have to i think miltank could be in a similar situation where it's like and i think we saw the same thing with like the situation even right like when people were playing weakness guard energy and like parasol like once you learn people's answers for your multi-price pokemon poke multi-price pokemon can't hit my pokemon decks then you can like tech out your deck accordingly to answer them and then it kind of becomes like a like you know a a, a kind of catch-up game of who's gonna try and one-up the other person like are you gonna commit to checking for miltank when you know 10 people are gonna play it at a regional championship or are you gonna you know put those one to two spots towards just being more consistent right, right. and uh figure out if you want to take that l to the to the miltanks and then um i guess uh what what else was in the rest of uh, what else was in the rest of top eight then besides that was there anything else interesting or was it basically standard stuff? Yeah, it was normal stuff. Uh, the other interesting deck was definitely Nolan Frida's Reggie Gigas. Oh deck, yeah, yeah. Which is really really cool. It seemed I mean he might it might have just been his day, you know, like because he <laughs> was not whiffing on the Reggie Gigas. He was getting turn two attacks nonstop. He was going first, getting all of them in play and attacking on turn one even. Like what? when he was going second. Like it was ridiculous, man. Yeah, I actually played a little bit. I had been trying the deck out and was pretty underwhelmed, but I tried out their list. Definitely better than the list I was rocking. Not convinced, you know, it will be a meta deck. Um, but such a cool deck, right? Like it's those are the kind of things I want to see more of where it's like and it would be great if this deck ends up being, this being a tier one deck would be scary if it's like a, if it falls in tier two that'd be pretty sick i think um so if we could- i will say I, I i don't know it's palkia matchup is maybe like a little questionable but like it has a pretty good um mew matchup like it yeah. really does he lost to grant in top four because in game two he prized both of his reggie gigas all right there you go yeah and even had the heavy he, ball so you still always have an out it, of the Hisuian heavy ball and but it just took him a little too long to find it by the time he finally got a reggie gigas in play grant had already taken two prize cards and was yeah. like and grant obviously played it extremely well like he played to all the like you know psychic leaping into one prizers like he did all the things correct and um it was able to come out on top with it but it was a definitely a tough matchup for anyone who was rooting for reggie gigas because prizing both both of those cards i mean the deck just doesn't work without reggie gigas yeah you kind of need the gigas so you need you need the whole squad but you know you run a couple of them you run the heavy ball so you can definitely put it together um and i think i think the the one problem for the deck i think is the arceus matchup they get the dunsparce down you don't have ways to you you play bosses orders but you don't have consistent ways to find them you know you're you're uh you're you're the fighting your reggie rock doesn't get the one at ko's anymore like you know maybe if dunsparce gets rotated out of arceus decks but then they're just charon's care looping you and you're definitely falling behind so that's what that's the matchup i think is you know the hardest but i think we could get to a point in the meta where you might just can you can maybe take the loss to the, the arceus deck especially with how good of a mew matchup it seems like the deck can get if you if you get the a, a consistent list roll and like with how good of a mew matchup it seems like this deck does potentially have if palkia takes up a meta share samurai takes up a meta share Darkrai takes up a meta share and Arceus becomes less popular or the builds that are being played are like less able to kind of do the Charon's Care loops. You know, we're playing up against these B-Barrel builds that can't always find their Charon's Cares um, or people are caught in the Dunsparces. I mean, there's definitely an opportunity for Gigas to, to come through for sure, I think. Yeah, the deck was really cool. I'm excited to try it out. I haven't played it that much yet. Personally, I've watched a lot of people playing it. 
Uh, so I'm excited to try it out. I, I did kind of write it off initially as just like a meme. I'm sure a lot of people kind of fell into that category, but it's better than a meme, I will say. It definitely is better than a meme. It is pretty easily counterable. Like if it ever became really popular, Collapsed Stadium is super strong against it. Avery, Avery is insane <laughs> against it. Like there is a lot of easy replacements that like any deck can play those two cards yeah. and improve their Reggie Gigas matchup. Yeah, Avery's got to be brutal. I guess that's like another to talk towards. Like Arceus, Arceus decks are the decks that play Avery, right? Arceus Intellion is the deck that plays Avery. So it's like another another reason the Arceus matchup is that much more difficult. And Avery, Avery's got to be pretty solid now with Palkia being so popular, right? Like. Palkia goes for the one-hit KO. You're an Arceus deck. You Avery them. You swing back. They maybe can't get the follow-up KO. You can maybe even Avery again on, like, a following turn or something. Like, yeah, Avery definitely seems uh, pretty solid, depending on how popular and powerful uh, Palkia ends up uh, showing it, it can be, potentially. Um, and that's also just, you know, Gigas is unfortunately getting caught in that crossfire. And then the two decks that were in the finals were both old decks. One of them had some new cards in it. And that was the Ice Rider Calyrex VMAX, which definitely got a pretty reasonable buff in this set. Not from Radiant Greninja, like many people would think, uh, because, you know, it's water type, right? It is actually a buff from the Radiant Halucha, which uh, its ability allows your attacks to do 30 more damage to your opponent's active Pokemon. And then it also can make use of Palkia, which is one of the main problems that Ice Rider has always had. You know, it's a very energy efficient attacker. It's got Melanie. You know, it can make use of all of those things. But it's really unfortunate because there's so many turns where you can't Melanie to get energies in play plus boss's orders. You can't do those two things. And Palkia makes up for that because it allows you to throw three energies from the discard pile onto the Ice Rider. So there's a couple players that played it. Um, I think the guy's name was Joshua, maybe. I might be remembering that wrong. They got second place. And Alex Shermansky also played the same deck as well. And it was definitely a... Really solid deck. Did not do the best in the finals, unfortunately. But I don't know. Have you played Ice Rider yet in this format? I know you've played it a decent amount in the past. I mean, I've been trying. It still feels... I mean, the Mew matchup, I think, is still bad, even with the Halucha. You get the Orcorio yeah. in play, so you got to do the Leon play. Like, there's a lot. And then if you're not pat to the peaking them, because you got to save your opportunity for your Palkia, then, <laughs> you know, you're not pat to the peaking Mew, right? Uh, I think Mew is just still really aggressive against it. And overall, it just doesn't feel like it's that consistent. Um, it's going to have struggle, big struggles, I think, up against uh, the Baby Jolteons, of course. Um, so we'll see um, how it ends up panning out. Yeah, definitely got some buffs. Definitely got some buffs. Um, and if more V-Star Pokemon are good, not only did it get buffs in terms of Halucha for the Mew matchup, which does help, um, you got the Palkia option. I still think Frostlast might be a little bit better as the energy acceleration accelerator. You don't have the option to attack with the Palkia then, but like Frostlast can be found with level balls compared to, you know, needing Ultra Balls or Quick Balls or Evolution Incense. So there's a little bit like there's a little bit more um, access to your energy excel like that. So I think I'd like the Frostlast more still. Um, but I think the biggest thing and, and with V and the, the other buff, I guess, would be that V-Star Pokemon are theoretically going to be more popular, which I mean, Ice Rider matches up really well into V-Star Pokemon, right? A choice belt, you literally want to KO any V-Stars. Yes. You got Scrapper, yes. you got Leon to get around the big charm. So that would be like a pretty big like buff as far as a meta shift goes for Ice Rider. So we'll see. Definitely more solid than it was last format. We'll see if it's enough, though, going forwards.
And the deck that ended up winning the event was everyone's uh, favorite <laughs> purple guy. That is Mew VMAX, which was playing zero new cards. No Trekking Shoes, no Silene, the cards that kind of people have been leaning towards in the set. Uh, definitely no Grants. Uh, I don't know anyone who would think playing Grant and Mew VMAX is a good idea. but uh, <laughs> It's a fun idea. Is it? Okay. <laughs> uh, I had, Azul I had a, has been playing Grant in Movie Max. I had a game where scared. I double granted and just like obliterated my deck. And I don't know, it was pretty cool. Like you grant quick wall away, grant again, ultra ball away. You could grant again at that point. But if you have that many cards, it's unlikely you have that many dead cards in the hand. But the Silene, I think, is maybe the bigger buff than the Trekking Shoes, actually. And I mean, Trekking yeah, Shoes feel pretty good there as well. I think Silene is one of those supporters that like you just read it and write it off instantly as being like, okay, flip two coins. Yeah, okay, this card, not going to be useful. Uh, you know, put it in the book pile. Yeah. But then as people start talking, people start thinking about ways that the decks can work, Silene can get back Power Tablet, yep. can get back Fusion Strike Energy, uh, and put them right on top of your deck so you just immediately Fusion Strike system into them. Yeah. which is kind of insane because like as the Arceus player, how often have you made a play knowing that your opponent is down one fusion strike energy and they have no way to do 280 with uh, Melodious Echo, right? Like you yep. do it all the time. But if you have the threat of Silene, it's a little scarier. Yeah, definitely. And the biggest one I think is getting back power tablets and of course getting, getting back stadiums as well. Sure. Like they put a power, they put a path to the peak down. You Silene, you put a stadium on top of your deck, you draw into it with the trekking shoes, or you just wait to top deck a next turn, you know, as long as you're still in a race for the prize trade. Uh, but the biggest one, I think, is just getting back power tablets. It allows you to play so much more aggressively through your opponent's active Pokemon, and even just recover, like, unfortunate starts um, where you, like, burn too many tablets early on, stuff like that. So Yeah, I mean, um, you can even play a tablet. I mean, people leave them out in play because that's you know, just a way to keep track of things. Yeah. But, you know, they do technically go to the discard pile, right? And then you can Silene for the tablet you just played exactly. <laughs> like immediately, which is really crazy. So you can play the same tablet multiple times in a turn uh, and really get there. It does make it much easier to reach for those big one-hit knockouts. Um, but Grant played none of that. No Trekking Shoes, no Silene, none of those things. It was a very straightforward and consistent Mew deck. He did play two basic Psychic Energy. He was a little worried about Whimsicott, he said. So he just wanted to be double prepared for that. He also had a Fog Crystal in the deck to be able to find it. I don't worried think there Whimsicott. was really much Whimsicott there at all. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> did, he read any of the, did he read any of the new cards? They all beat Whimsicott. <laughs> Darkrai, Samurott, right, Palkia. <laughs> Listen, he. I think his words on he it did an interview in the, on the full grip thing, and he was like, "Yeah, I was worried about the you know the little Timmies coming to the card shop to play their Whimsicott deck." <laughs> Which, even little uh, even little Timmy knows better, bro. Come on, you got to give Timmy some respect here. You give Timmy some, put some respect <laughs> on his name. Now Jimmy, but, on the other hand, but Jimmy doesn't show up very often, so we're good. No, uh, but. Yeah, he played no new cards. It was just a very consistent, straightforward list, and he ended up winning. Yep. And I think that it's kind of a sign that Mew VMAX is, I hate to say it, but it's in a pretty good spot right now. And it's funny because we've said that so many times over the last few months of like, yeah, people aren't going to be, like, people are playing less Path to the Peak. Mew is in such a good spot now. But there's just so many other decks out there now. I don't think that Palkia has the best Mew VMAX matchup. Uh, it cannot really efficiently one-hit KO it because of Oracorio. Yep. And even with the Leon play, which can maybe be harder to get to in the first place. And all of these things just lead to, you know, Mew, you know, more two-prize Pokemon that can easily be KO'd. They can't KO it back. So those are all good signs for Mew VMAX. 
No, yeah, I think Mew's probably in a pretty good spot. I think it matches up fine against pretty much Darkrai lists in general. Like, it's just a 2-2-2 trade. And there's, like, a pretty easy trade for Meloetta, like that where they only need two tap two modifiers with plus triple Fusion Strike energy because Darkrai has 270, Samurai's got 270. Like, those are not good things for those V-Stars. So if we go down this route of more V-Star Pokemon... Um, as I, yeah, Mew's going to be in a pretty good spot. Um, I think, I think maybe there is a way to kind of, you know, work the Palkia list into being like 50, 50 against Mew, but I don't know what it is yet. That's something I'm going to be working on. It's like, how do we get Palkia to beat Mew 50% of the time, at least? Cause if you do that, Palkia feels pretty good, but that is definitely one of the struggles of Palkia right now is it's like, your Mew matchup is just kind of, kind of tough. I feel like for sure. Yeah, definitely. So that was the full grip tournament. Congratulations to Grant on getting the win there. I mean, and there's just a lot of, you know, cool decks out there now, cool new decks, the Samurots, the, the Palkias. I'm excited to see kind of where people's uh, lists flesh out, like how the lists get refined and which ones end up doing well. I think we'll definitely see a Palkia or two in top eight at Milwaukee. It's definitely very solid. I do think Arceus is still very good um but yeah i don't know what are your thoughts on kind of where the meta is going what are some of uh, you've been playing it a lot more than i have because you've been streaming and stuff what are some of your favorite decks that you've been playing so far um i mean the, the reggie is a ton of fun dialga is a ton of fun but i feel like the more okay. i played it the worse it seems unfortunately my initial play with it was like oh this is like it works and it's really good i was doing like a quad diancy build and trying to build up my dialga but the more i played with it the, the worse it seems unfortunately so not convinced on on uh dialga actually being any good unfortunately i, I it just feels like the the v-star power is so good like maybe even just like a more aggressive build of dialga where you're just trying to attack turn two and then eventually get to those five energy to take that free turn at some point is the way to go but um, i wonder if you could play a, a list i wonder if you could play a list with like galarian perserker or something like that yeah and up your damage to boost the damage and that way you could one hit ko a v-star with that v-star power and then you're also boosting your first attack's damage which also can do a lot you know you yeah, just yeah. get a few energies on that thing with the choice belt like it's gonna get hitting pretty hard pretty quickly and meowth obviously has combos with like discarding metal energies for metal saucer i don't know man there, there's something that you could do there you can even i mean you could just go full degen and play turbo patch too and just try to get even more energies <laughs> in play <laughs> that could be the way to go yeah the first attack is actually like yeah that's like the been like the the biggest selling point for me. I was like doing a build where I had like Zigzagoon and Yoga Loop in there as well. So if you whiff the KO with the uh, the your first hit for 250, uh, you can Yoga Loop clean it up or Goon clean it up. And then you also, then on the next turn, on your third turn in a row, you boss KO their other attacker with the, the first attack of Dialga. But then after that, That's it's disgusting. like, after that, it's like, okay, they have a turn now. So let's see what they can do with that turn. And if they can, you know, one hit KO you or um boss ko whatever's important or just close out the game at that point that's where you kind of falls apart and also like leading up to that point it's just hard to get to that that turn as well consistently have you done that have you pulled off the three turns in a row with the yoga yeah. loop before yeah it's not too that's hard insane <laughs> yeah because usually you don't want to ko anything with your attack so you like punch a, mm -hmm. I don't know you punch a arceus and then you go like bird keeper bronze on two energy over yoga loop and then you get another turn and then you go boss up their bench arceus knock that out and then it's like okay what do they have at that point how many product cards have they drawn um and try and try and yeah. take it from there the astral radiance format is definitely shaping up to be a pretty fun looking one it does feel like there will be at least at the beginning a little bit less arceus so maybe they'll feel like there's more variety in the format to start with that's kind of how the format always starts people are trying the new stuff out right yeah 
as it evolves, we'll see if Arceus still kind of makes its way to the front. Yeah. Obviously, there's been a lot of people who are playing like some lightning stuff in there. Raikou V has been a popular tech in Arceus decks these days, it feels like. And I don't even know if the Raikou V is that good because Palkia just respond KOs it, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, it like if you're ahead, it's a way to keep you ahead. I think the best way to kind of think about it is like if you're playing an Arceus deck and you get the, the first two prize cards or you KO a Palkia V off the rip, from there, you can't one-hit KO Palkias. So if they're one-hit KOing you because you had to bench Pokemon to set up, if you have the Raikou to like keep ahead in the prize trade, it is worth it. Or something like the Zerora or something. Just like some Lightning Pokemon to keep the prize kit ahead. Because eventually, they'll just they'll regain the prize lead, right? Like if they if you get the first prize card or two prize cards, whatever, and then they go one-hit KO, and then you go punch Palkia and they go one-hit KO, you're losing the prize exchange all of a sudden. So you need something to just hit that one hit KO them back. Or you can try and limit your mm -hmm. bench. You can try and play the, the game plan where you limit your bench and kind of Charon's care. But that can be really hard to do, especially when they have the Greninja to snipe your Sobbles and your Drizziles. Like, then you have to bench Manaphy, and then you have to at least have two Sobbles down, and then you need two Arcus. And at that point, you're at four bench Pokemon. Now you may as well, like, you're, you're, they're one hit KOing you at that point, right? So um, the Greninja, I think, is what puts on the most pressure in the matchup because it forces you to either not have access to Shady Dealings or you're benching at least the Sobble, at least the Manaphy, and at least having two Arceus in play. So you're already your bench starting to fill up. And then Echoing Horn comes in play, and they're filling their bench for you. So yeah. I think just having, like, those games where you get ahead in the prize exchange, or just to give you it, like, if they just go Palkia turn two, hit knockout, and you just knock it out back, plus put down a path to the peak or something, and you, you could just maybe just beat them on that. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's you need something, I feel like, um, as, like, an option, some kind of aggressive option on your end. Definitely. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. That's just kind of a little sneak peek at our thoughts on Astral Radiance, our early opinions. I'm going to be playing a lot more of it once I get home this weekend, trying to, you know, get some more thoughts fleshed out on what my, you know, the decks are that I'm liking. I'm sure Azul is going to be streaming a bunch more, so be sure to check out Azul's stream. And thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. Things are going really well over here. Uh, we are really close to 2K on the YouTube channel as far as 2K subscribers, so thanks to everyone for showing support over there on the youtube thanks to everyone listening of course on whatever your preferred podcasting platform if you want to support us please be sure to leave a rating and a review it takes just a few seconds and it goes a long way to helping us out thank you guys so much for all the support for real yeah thanks a ton and yeah if you're on the youtube channel make sure to subscribe like comment you know like i said earlier let us know if you got the flavor text and how many lifelines it took or you guessed gagus or if you're or when you guessed Gigas was when I said Gigas. <laughs> or, or let us know if you guessed Caracosta as well. Yeah, <laughs> where you can, when Chip was like Caracosta, you're like, yep, that's the one. I'm locked in. Chip's right. We're Caracosta all the way here. I was so confident, bro. I was so confident. <laughs> I like started panicking when you're like, you're like, well, maybe I should use a lifeline. I was like, oh no. But then you're like, nah, I'm, I want those four points. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> ah. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it, guys. Uh, see you every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern, and we'll catch you uh, in the next one. Peace. Peace.